Have you ever been stressed, really worried, and had trouble falling asleep? What does the Torah say? How to fall into a deep sleep? Why is the medical symbol on hospitals, ambulances, around the world, a staff with a snake wrapped around it? Where does this medical symbol come from? One of the hottest places to visit when you're touring the ancient city of Jerusalem are the incredible tunnels constructed by King Hezekiah, Hezekiah. Here is a seal, a bulla, a piece of clay, which archaeologists uncovered in ancient Hebrew writings with the name of Hezekiah, son of Ahaz. This is an incredible find, and we will talk about the history of these tunnels today. Good afternoon, it's Rabbi Heshi here, and we're back for lunch and learn. It's Tuesday, 12.15, and today's topic is a incredible, fascinating topic, which I've learned so much preparing, researching, and I'm wearing this hat because today is the day of Rosh Chodesh Adar, we usher in the month of Adar, which is a joyous month, the month where we celebrate Purim. So in that spirit, we'll have this on my head for today's lesson. And Torah makes us happy, so it's a great thing to do, to increase in joy. As the Talmud says, when this month rolls in, we increase in matters of joy. It's not just one day a month, the entire month gets transformed into a month of happiness, of joy, so, join me on a 60-minute journey as we explore the life of King Hezekiah, Hezekiah, who lived 2,700 years ago, one of the Judean kings, the Jewish kings, and the constructor, the one who constructed the incredible tunnels that tourists visit in the ancient city of Jerusalem. Why did he construct these tunnels? What's its story? And of course, what are the lessons of his life applicable to us living thousands of years later? There must be inspiring messages. So welcome Jody, welcome Roy, welcome Jack, welcome Mark, welcome everybody joining on live and we'll be joining on later. Whenever you watch this lesson, today's lesson has a source sheet. We'll talk about four areas of this man's incredible life and glean some messages from the story, from the biblical story, from the Talmudic story, all, all with sources from traditional sources. Join us as we jump right in and hopefully we'll emerge with a better understanding of this character and some advice for how to sleep more peacefully, restfully, and not be stressed or worried. So here we go. Um, just give a little background to this man. His name in English, he's known as Hezekiah. But we're going to pronounce it the Jewish way. Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyah. We'll say in short. Chizkiyah. Chizkiyah. Like Chala. Chopa. Chizkiyah HaMelech. Chizkiyah the king. He was... A great-great-grandson of King David and King Solomon. A direct line, father-son, father-son. He was king number 13 after King David. And he gets 
lots of coverage in the Torah, in the books of the prophets, in the Tanakh, in the Bible, if you may say. He gets a very, he's very prominent there, a very legendary individual. So we will explore some points of his life. Of course, there is so much to say about him. We'll try to see what we can cram in in 60 minutes or so. If you have any comments or questions, please let us know as we go along in the comments. Hello, Phil. Hello, Vicky. Here we go. Our source sheet is in the link or the link to the source sheet is in this post or in your email inbox. And another fascinating thing that Chizkiah did was there was this book of healing, a book of medicine that everybody would refer to as widely available, and he hid it. He suppressed this book. Why would he do such a thing? Wouldn't it be amazing to have this book of healings and everybody that has an issue, has an ailment, you just look it up in the book and it would work? Why would he suppress this book? So here we go. Let's jump right in. Going back 2,700 years into Jewish history, which this king specifically, Chizkiyahu, is so well documented. Not just documented, so many aspects of his life were uncovered by archaeologists. It is virtually impossible to deny his existence. So here we go. Source number... One, Chizkiyahu, Chizkiyah, the son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. So the Jewish people are living in Israel. This is about, I would say, roughly 600 years, 700 years after the revelation at Mount Sinai. The Jewish people are very well settled in the land, across the land of Israel. And the next king that rises to fame is a man named Chizkiah. And he is the son of Ahaz. His father was also a king. His father's name was Ahaz. His name is Chizkiah. And he becomes king. He is 25 years old. And his reign lasts for a total of 29 years. He passes later at the age of 54. So for 29 years, he's a ruler. His palace is in Jerusalem. And from there, he rules over the Judean People, the people of Judah. His father attempted to burn him as an offering to an idol, but his mother rubbed him with the blood of a salamander. Now this sounds crazy. So although the Jewish people received the Torah, but unfortunately, for many times and years in our history, especially the Torah tells us, the books of the prophet describe to us Jewish life, and often the king's were idol worshippers. It's hard for us to relate to this because idol worship is not as rampant and as desirable and attractive as it was back in those days, but it was in those days. And unfortunately, many kings, even Jewish kings, fell victim to this desire to worship idols. And the father of Chizkiah was one such king. His name was Ahaz, and he was the king of Israel, or the king of Judah, but he was an idol worshiper. And he was an evil man in the sense that he left the ways of God to the point of attempting to burn up his own son as an offering, which was apparently one of the ways of worshiping one of the idols. Luckily, his mother, whose name was Avia, Avia saved him from the fire by rubbing him with the blood of a salamander. That's what the Talmud says. 
somehow salamanders are gets better at surviving in heat and the blood of it without getting into the details. I'm not a doctor, but that's what the Talmud says, that that's the kind of environment Chizkiah grew up in. But he did not go in the ways of his father, although being born to a wicked father, a idol worshiper, and not just personally worshiping idols, his father being the king inspired the masses to idol worship to the point of closing down the temple worship. The temple, which was built by his great-great-grandfather, King Solomon, where there were supposed to be daily offerings following the law of the Torah, that was all sealed. That was all shut down. There was idol worship. There were not a central place, the temple, to worship up offerings to God Almighty, the true God and creator of heaven and earth, but to all kinds of deities, all kinds of idols, and people would worship them in all little altars that they would build around the country. That was the case in the times of his father. But source two, he, Chizkiah, the son, once he came into office, he did what was right in the eyes of God. Like all that his father David, not not literally his father, but his great-great-grandfather David had done. He abolished the high places and smashed the monuments. The high places is in Hebrew a bama, a, a altar, a kind of high place where they would worship up for idols for foreign gods, for other deities, which was outlawed by the Torah. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not worship other gods. He followed the Lord and kept His commandments and did not just do so Himself. He inspired the nation and the masses. He cleansed the land from idol worship. So just here we see this amazing character of Chizkiah dropping the ways of his father and taking a mess and turning it into a pure... God-fearing country. And in that sense, King David is compared to Abraham. Abraham's father, the first Jew, his name was Terah. He was also an idol worshiper. Yet, Abraham did not follow in the idolatrous ways of his father and recognize God. And so too, Chizkiah did not follow in the ways of his idolatrous father, Ahaz, the Jewish king, and recognize God on his own. And in a way, he was even greater than King David because King David's father was a righteous man, Yishai, and his great-grandmother was Ruth. They were, they were noble women, God-fearing women. But Chizkiah did not grow up in such an environment and yet he was able to have the courage to make a change and do what was right in the eyes of God. Well, sometimes, we, here's our first lesson. Sometimes we say to ourselves, well, that's not the way I was brought up. That's not the way my father taught me. Sometimes, if we know what we're taking upon ourselves, something new, it is what God wants us to do, then ultimately up in heaven our parents will be happy that we're choosing this path. Chizkiah serves as an example. Source number three. One of the achievements of Chizkiah, he crushed the copper, the copper serpent that Moshe had made. Getting back to our ambulance over here, look at any ambulance around the world, I believe. You have this symbol of a, a snake wrapped around a rod, wrapped around a pole. Where does this come from? So, I don't know where that comes from, but perhaps 
it is related to the story in the Torah, in the book of Numbers, in the book of Amidbar, the Torah tells us a story when the Jewish people are in the desert for 40 years, they complain. Now they complained quite a bunch of times. One of the times they complained, God sent these serpents, these snakes, with a um, poisonous snakes to attack the Jewish complainers who were displaying a lack of faith in God, who was sending them the manna from heaven every morning and can definitely take care of them. They complained in an unpleasant um, way. And, of course, Moses, their leader, Moshe, prays for them. And God says, okay, make a bronze snake, or make a snake and put it on a pole, and whoever is bitten by the snake, should look up to this very tall snake on the pole and he will be healed. That's what the Torah says. Now, obviously, this is not some kind of magic. The idea was, as the Talmud explains, that when the Jew would lift his eyes towards this pole, he would be looking up to heaven. Heaven would remind him of God Almighty. Like last night, it was a clear sky. We were looking up, my wife and daughter were just mesmerized by the stars in the sky and it reminds you of what kind of great world we had and great God who created this world. And when the Jew would look up to heaven, he would realize his mistake and how he must better his ways, improve himself, and that itself would bring him healing. But the symbol was this snake, this bronze snake on a pole. And this was around, and that's what brought medical healing to the Jewish people at the time. Perhaps that's a source for this um, symbol. There's no coincidence. So, this bronze snake on a pole was around, this sort of statue was around for hundreds of years, and 700 years later, in the times of Chizkiah, this snake was still around. The problem was that, as we see in Source 3, in the times of Chizkiah, he crushed the copper serpent that Moshe had made. For until those days, the Israelites were burning incense to it, and he called it Nechushtan, Nechoshes means copper, but Nechushtan is in a derogatory term. Although this was fashioned and crafted by Moshe at the direct instruction of God, he crushed it. Why? Because the Jewish people were attributing idolatry to it. They said, hey, this snake is a god, it's healing us. And they forgot that it's God who is merely using this as a tool to heal them. He was the one that instructed Moses to first craft this and mold this snake, this copper snake. So in the times of Chizkiah and his attempt to abolish idol worship from the land of Israel, he took the courage and crushed the serpent. And again, the sages agreed with him. There are various things that he did and the sages, the rabbis at the time, the leading rabbis agreed with the king. Because although this was so heavenly, this was made by Moses, God said to make it, who are you to break it? But the sages agreed because if it was leading to idolatry, it was time to crush it. And you might say, how come no one else did it before him? Chizkiah could have said to himself, if this is so important, idol worship has been around for a long time. How come my father's and grandfather, well, his father was an idol worshiper, but there were some righteous kings before, before that, Yehoshaphat, and uh, others, I believe Asa, not all kings were evil. And why didn't they crush it? Perhaps 
because Chizkia had this courageous side to him to do what's right. Even if someone's father didn't do it, someone's grandfather didn't do it, you can take the right step if you know it is leading to something good. And of course, with the consent of the Sanhedrin with the Jewish high courts. So, source number four, another thing that Chizkiah did in the same kind of vein, he hid the Book of Remedies. There was a Book of Remedies. Some say it was written by King Solomon, who was the wisest of all men. Some say it was going back to the times of Noah, and some even to the times of Adam. There was this book in the possession of the Jewish people, a book of healings, a book of medical knowledge. And nobody really suffered from ailments. Because if there was an issue, they would look in the book, see what to do, and know how to heal themselves. But Chizkiah came along, he hid the book of remedies, and the sages agreed with him. Now, that sounds pretty cruel. Why would he do so? Because their minds were not subdued by the illness. Instead, they would be healed instantly. God sends, it, sends an illness. An illness is not just natural. It is a sign from God. And it is meant for a person to do some introspection and say, hey, Obviously, you got to go to the doctor. you got to take that medicine. But it is also taken as a sign that perhaps I need to improve my relationship with God. I need to be a better person, a kinder person, a more godly, spiritual person. Instead, they would just say, hey, okay, got this problem, just look in the book. That's what Rashi says, one of the commentaries. Maimonides says a bit different. This was close to causing humans to error after idolatry. And for that reason, the books were hidden because these books had all kinds of interesting um, tactics, how to deal with sickness. And some of that, some of these things, you know, go outside. When this star is shining, it led people to idol worship, worshiping the different stars and different things that brought healing and not recognizing that this is merely tools. These are merely tools that God created and therefore, he suppressed the book, he hid the book from the masses. Until today, we don't have access to this book. So, these are some th- two things that he did that the sages agreed. Cleansing the land from idol worship, inspiring the people to come back to the true God, away from any foreign gods. Source number five, one final thing that he did and the sages agreed, he dragged the bones of his evil father on a bed of ropes and the sages agreed. Now, that sounds pretty harsh. Well, he didn't actually drag his father's bones, but he dragged his father's bones on a bed of ropes, meaning instead of a stretcher or coffin, which was more respectable for a king of the Jewish people, he gave more of a simple bed of ropes for his father during his funeral. And even though one is obligated to honor his father despite his father being Perhaps, perhaps he's obligated, even despite, you know, that can be discussed, his father being a wicked man who did not go in the ways of God. But here, it was for a purpose. It wasn't just to disgrace his father. And even if it was, you might say, he, the fact is that his father was the king and the representative of, of the Jewish people. So he, it would be disrespectful for the people to have a disrespectful funeral for their king. But here we see the beauty and the love of the Jewish people. 
continuing in source 5, in order that their former king achieve atonement for his sins through his disgrace. There is a concept of when someone is disgraced, um, it can bring on atonement for the soul. So instead of having them suffer in the world to come, in hell or something like that, having them suffer somewhat here, that contributes to their atonement. And the people for were ready to forgo their own honor that their king would not receive uh, a, a respectful funeral as is fitting their king just in order that their king find atonement through his disgrace. So it was very virtuous. It was as atonement for this man his father, their leader, to find atonement. So those are three things that he did that the sages agreed with. Crush the copper snake, hid the book of healings, and buried his father somewhat disgracefully to bring on his atonement. Source number six, in the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, which is a reference to the holy temple in Jerusalem. Because his father Achaz, a wild idol worshiper sealed the temple shut. Hard to imagine. But the magnificent holy temple of King Solomon was violated, desecrated with idol images. And it was just sealed shut. There was no daily offerings. There was no sacrifices. When he came into office, Chizkiah, he opened the doors. He restored the temple. He cleansed it. And they announced throughout all of Israel to come to perform the Passover sacrifice to the God of Israel in Jerusalem. Three was, there was great joy for since the days of Shlomo, King Solomon, there had not been the like in Jerusalem. Not just in the days of his father this didn't happen. They were not practicing Passover and having the Paschal offering. But even before that, for some probably 150 years or more, the kingdom in Israel was divided. We spoke about this numerous times that after King Solomon, his son split, split the kingdom with Jeroboam, Yeravam. And there were the ten tribes living in the north of Israel with their own Jewish king called the King of Israel. Then you had the two tribes Judah and Benjamin in the south of Israel centered in Jerusalem with the temple led by the king of Judah. Chizkiah was from the dynasty of the Judean kings. And there was this divide. Now the tribes in the north did not come to the temple because their king wouldn't want his constituents, his citizens coming to the temple which is in the domain of the other king, and that would cause strife. And But here, Chizkiah invited everybody. Because at this point in history, in the early years of Chizkiah's reign, the Assyrians, who was, were the superpower of the time, centered uh, to the east of Israel, probably where Jordan and is today, the Assyrians, they were the conquering ruling superpower of the time and they had come slowly to um, exile the ten tribes eventually exiling all the ten tribes 
Well, at this point, he had exiled some of them, the, including the king of Israel, whose name was Hosea, of the northern kingdom. And, but there were still some remnants left. And without a strong king in the north of Israel, Chizkiah took the opportunity to invite them back to Jerusalem. And for this, the book says that since the days of King Solomon, before the kingdom was split, there was no such joy in Jerusalem that Passover. There was remnants of the other tribes which were not yet exiled. Everybody in, in Jerusalem, his father's ceiling of the temple was undone and there was great joy. Source number seven, he trusted in the God of Israel. Chizkiah had faith and trust in God. There was none like him among all the kings of Judah who were after him, nor were there before him. This is some title and description for him. He was called Chizkiah since he strengthened the devotion of the Jewish people to their Father in heaven. Chizkiah, that's God's name in there. And Chizki, Chizak, Chazak means strong. Like we say when we finish reading a book of the Torah, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak, strong and let us be strengthened. Chizkiah was called Chizkiah because he strengthened the Jewish people's devotion to our Father in heaven, to God Almighty. That's our first section about Chizkiah. He was brave, he was courageous and bold, undoing what his father did. You know the story of a man who took over his father's leadership position and the people came and said, why are you doing so different than your father? So he had his own way and he said, no, I'm, I'm doing exactly what my father did. And they said, no, you're not. And they came back again and again. He, all he said was, I'm doing exactly what my father did. And finally they said, what do you mean? You I mean, you're doing things so differently. We're so used to your father's ways. Until he said, I'm doing exactly what my father did. When my father came into office, he did things the way he wanted to, different than his father. I'm doing the same thing like my father. When I come into office, I'm doing things my way. That's exactly what Chizkiah did, did. But not just his way, the way God would want from Chizkiah. So he was a very righteous king. And as we said, gets lots of coverage. And we'll talk about some of the main stories that the books of the king, the book of Kings, the book of Chronicles, these are from the books of the Torah, the entire Torah, tell us about Chizkiah. But now we know a bit about what kind of person Chizkiyahu Hamelech, King Chizkiah was. Let's move on to our second section. In addition to being king and bringing people to worship God, he inspired the masses to study Torah to an astonishing level, as we see the description. Source number eight. And soon we'll get to some of the amazing archaeological finds. For example, right here, for those that are familiar with Hebrew, uh, we have we'll still have difficulty reading this, but here is a stone which was uncovered and in Jerusalem, I believe, and it has what's called Ksav Ivri, the whole, the old Hebrew right letters. It's not Aleph Bet, the Hebrew Aleph Bet shapes; they're different shapes. But you can check it up and match it. And here is what it says: is Chizkiah the son of Achaz? And you could actually check it out. Like this is a letter, and each of these letters. Um, correspond to a you know typical Hebrew letter, and it's just amazing. And I tell you, the archaeologists are not all you know hardcore religious believers, 
in Israel, and uh, they do lots of testing to verify that these things are correct. They do radio, um, radiology kind of testing and all the things that they, they use. I'm not very familiar with all the equipment that they use, but it dates back to that period 2,700 years ago, and we'll see some of the tunnels that we'll get to. And just this morning, Brian from Marshall told us that he was there in Jerusalem and visited and toured those tunnels so he can attest to their existence. I, for some reason, it was before I researched this class, did not visit those tunnels. I didn't want to get too wet in the knee-deep waters. But it is absolutely amazing how much archaeological evidence we have to these stories, and particularly King Hezekiah, Chizkiah. So the second thing we'll talk about is his Torah knowledge and his inspiring the masses to Torah. Again, not following the ways of his father Achaz. Because Source 8 tells us that evil Achaz said, by the way, they're not just evil because they didn't follow God. They were also killers and people would, lots of blood was spilled on their account. The evil Achaz said, if there are no masters, there will be no students. If there are no students, there will be no sages. If there is no Torah, there will be no synagogues and study halls. And I forgot to put in the last few words that if there is no study halls and Torah being studied, then God's presence will not rest among us. And that was his goal. What did he do? He passed all the synagogues and study halls and sealed them shut. He Closed down. Hello, Brian. We just mentioned your name. And hello, Hank and Stan. He closed down the Torah operation, at least on a, on a grand level. Of course, I'm sure Torah continued to be studied by the sages and other individuals, but on a national level, he closed down the Torah studies. He says, we can't teach Torah because he'll close down the Torah study halls. And eventually, nobody will study Torah. Well, luckily, his reign only lasted for about 20 years, and uh, Torah is still here today. We persevered. And his son was very influential in undoing and fixing up, if you might say, getting things back on track. Reminds me of a, a joke. A story where there was a town that when someone died, they would only bury the man or the person until someone said something nice about them. Someone said something virtuous about the person, then they would bury it. It was this really wicked person, a low life. And when he died, they laid his coffin in the synagogue and nobody had anything nice to say. Days went by. What to do? You can't bury him until someone says something nice. Finally, some guy comes up and he says... His son is worse than him. So, he can't be that bad. Had something nice to say about him. So they buried him. Years later, the son dies. What are you going to say now? His son was worse than his father. What are you going to say nice about the son? Until some guy comes along and says, In his merit, his father was buried. So, uh, talking about father and son, that, I'm not sure why this came to my mind, but... The father Acha sealed the temple and sealed the synagogues and study halls where the Torah study was taking place. Chizkiah came along and his father brought him to this world, so I guess it's a virtue, but he 
open the synagogues, open the study halls. Source number nine, Chizkiah and his colleagues wrote Isaiah, Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. That's four books out of the 24 books of the Torah, the entire Torah, were written by Chizkiah. They were the wisdoms of King Solomon, the prophecies of the prophet Isaiah, which is our study till today. They were written, disseminated by Chizkiah and his colleagues. Another description in the Talmud, Shevna would teach Torah to an audience of 130,000 and Chizkiah to an audience of 110,000. Chizkiah would eat a litra of vegetables at his meal and was satiated. So he ate precious little, some vegetables. And some people were saying, is this the meal of a king? Is this our king? This is what he eats? But Chizkiah was a spiritual man. And he had the wealth. But he sustained himself from studying Torah. He ate what he had to eat. He didn't indulge in physical pleasures. He was in a spiritual pursuit of the wisdom of God, the mitzvah of studying Torah. That's how a Jew lives. We always have a book under our arms. We're always at a free moment, listening, studying some Torah, as the verse tells us to do. When we're walking on our way, when we sit at home, when we wake up, these words of Torah should be in our mouths. Not just to know what to do, but a Jew is inseparable with Torah. And that has how Chizkiyahu lived and inspired his people, his citizens, to live. And we mentioned Shevna, and Shevna, interesting, had a larger audience than the king Chizkiah. And Shevna was basically like the prime minister of Chizkiah's reign, of his palace, but he had a lot of pride, which eventually led him to error, and we'll see later that he went against the wishes of Chizkiah, ended up dying on his own, and being replaced by Eliakim. But at that point, Shevna and Chizkiah were teaching hundreds of thousands of Jewish people Torah. Source number 10. The yoke shall be destroyed due to fatness. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah, who was the prophet. His name was Yeshaya, Yeshayahu. For those of you that remember, we had a Shaya here in our community that moved out recently. Shaya is still, uh, still a name used today. And he was a distant relative of Chizkiah, but he was the prophet. Jewish people were blessed during biblical times with prophets, with people who God communicated directly with, with a message usually or often for the people. And during this period when there was idol worship before and after, the the prophets would inspire the people and warn them that if they do not repent, there is going to be calamities, there's going to be an exile. And in general, they would be kind of a... um, an address for inspiration for the people. And Yeshayahu, son of Amos, Yeshayahu ben Amos has a book, one of, this, one of the 24 books of the Torah, Isaiah, as we said before, Chizkiah and his colleagues wrote this book. And in the book, it's a long book, like 60, over 60 chapters, and it says there, he lived during this time, so a lot of his prophecies are related to the episodes of that era, which is about, you know, 700 BCE, before the Common Era, the yoke shall be destroyed due to fatness. Oh, what does that mean? A lot of them spoke in um, kind of uh, euphemism or 
parables. What does this refer to? Says the Talmud, the yoke of Sancherev. Sancherev was the king of Assyria, the Assyrian king who was the superpower of the time, who was responsible for exiling the ten tribes in the north. Well, we'll see soon that he came back to Jerusalem to try to exile and conquer the southern kingdom, Chizkiah, at his helm. So the yoke of Sancheria was destroyed, like we'll see soon, due to the oil of Chizkiah that would burn in the synagogues and study halls when the Jewish people were engaged in Torah study at night. They were not in the bars and in the clubs at night. They were in the study hall clubs, in the tefillin club, well not at night, in the Torah clubs. And uh, saying L'chaim while they were studying. That's what they were doing. That's what the people enjoyed. It was enjoyment from studying Torah. Go to some yeshivas at night. You'll get a glimpse of what it's like to stay up late at night and delve into the teachings of the Torah. So the, oil, the fat, when the verse says the fatness, that's the oil. So the yoke shall be destroyed. The yoke of the king Sancher, of the Assyrian king who came to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem was destroyed due to the fatness, due to the oil that was burning in the synagogues and study halls while the Jewish people were engaged in Torah study during the era of Chizkiah. He inserted a sword at the entrance of the study hall and said, anyone who does not engage in Torah study shall be stabbed with this sword. Now, I don't think he actually stabbed anybody, but that was a very bold statement telling people that this is serious business. You got to study Torah. Imagine that. A king who is, as a ruler of the land, encouraging, in a very harsh way, or a really serious way, getting the Jews, and sometimes you got to speak harsh to the Jews, I guess, to get them to do the right thing. Source 11, they searched from Dun in the north to Beersheba in the south, and did not find an ignoramus. They searched from Gevet to Antipatris, that's from the east to the west, and did not find a male child, a female child, or a man or a woman who was not an expert even in the complex laws of ritual purity and impurity, which are the most complex laws in Torah study. Purity, impurity, does, is, did this become impure? Did it not become impure? The laws of mikvah. And everybody was so knowledgeable during his time. To the point that the Midrash says that a rainbow was never visible in the sky during the 29 years of his reign. Now we know that a rainbow is a sign, is like a bad omen that maybe God wants to bring a flood again, like in the times of Noah. And he remembers his covenant that he made with Noah saying that he will not bring a flood, thank God, to wipe us away, even if we are deserving of it. But in the times of his, and that's why we don't really stare at a rainbow, because it's looked at as... God really maybe wants to bring a flood again. We're not, we're not behaving so well. You know, people aren't being so moral like in the times of Noah. But in his generation in Jerusalem, there was never a rainbow seen because the generation was so Torah observant and Torah stu- studying Torah that there was no need for God to bring a rainbow. He didn't have to remember his covenant. They were so righteous. This generation is looked upon as one of the golden times, religious times, and peaceful times for the Jewish people. Miraculous times, as we will soon see. And our last quote, last source for this section, they afforded him, source number 12, they afforded him honor in his death. They established a yeshiva. What kind of honor did they afford him? 
they establish a yeshiva at his grave, at least for 30 days, honoring him, someone who stood for Torah study by establishing a yeshiva at his grave. His grave is at the outskirts of the old city of Jerusalem with the graves of his ancestors, David and Solomon. And till today, that grave can be visited, not too close up because it's a long cave, but we can pray at the entrance of the cave. It's known as the cave, the cave, the burial cave of King David, but really it wasn't just King David, it was all many kings, Solomon and King Chizkiah, and we have eyewitnesses who went down into the cave you know, before it was sealed and saw the following. They laid a Torah scroll upon his bear and said, this one fulfilled that which is written in this one. That's quite interesting to put a Torah scroll. And if I remember correctly, I remember reading an, uh, a um, testimony, a, a description of somebody who once went down secretly into the cave and did see a crown, I believe on King David's grave, and a small Torah scroll next to the grave of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, exactly what the Talmud dis- interprets this verse here, saying that they did put a Torah scroll and that this man, Hezekiah, fulfilled which what is written in this one. Here it says, do not worship idols, study Torah, and that's what Hezekiah did. So we have a very vivid description of his life. Now let's get to the real fun part. Two amazing, real big stories that happened during his reign. Let's turn the page to our third section, source number 13. And here again, Chizkiah teaches us an amazing lesson. So, Archaeology is not just done in Israel, it is also done around the world, ancient places, and this is called the Prism of Sancherev. Sancherev's Prism, again, Sancherev was the Assyrian king going back about 700 BCE, which was a mighty empire, which was overtaken by the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and so on. This is not just a stone, it's called a prism because of its shape. And it has writings, an ancient kind of uh, writings, sides. And in this, it's Sancherev saying his story. It was, this was found, uncovered in the ruins of the Assyrian, one of the Assyrian palaces buried somewhere there. And in it, there is mention of his siege on Jerusalem. And King Chizkiah. Now, of course, he doesn't say the full story, which includes his defeat, but he does record partial, uh, partially the story, which is the taxes and uh, high gifts that Chizkiah had to pay to Sancherev. And that is true, because after exiling the ten tribes in the north, Chizkiah tried to appease him, to lay off, to leave him alone in Jerusalem and sent him lots of gold and lots of gifts, lots of money. And to the point that he had to actually peel off the golden plates of the temple doors and send them to the king of Assyria. And the sages weren't too happy with that, but that was done with good intent, good intention in an attempt to allow the Jews to peacefully study Torah and not have to wage war and pursue battle with the Assyrians. But eventually, that did not um, last. And at one point, 
Source 13. Chizkiah rebelled against the king of Assyria. And Sancherev, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. And he laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, the capital, which was fortified. It was surrounded by an ancient wall. And we have some sort of wall, not the original, but we have a wall today around the ancient city of Jerusalem, which was more difficult for the Assyrians to conquer. And they laid siege. Now Sancherev sent a couple of his ministers. One of them was Rav Shokei to entice the Jewish people to surrender and not engage in battle with the Assyrians. And they were no match, no question about it. But they attempted to get them to surrender. This man, Rav Shoki, stood by the wall around Jerusalem and he started speaking to the people inside. Say now to Chizkiah, so has the king of Assyria said, What is this confidence that you have trusted? Who do you think you are? Who are you laying your trust in? Rebelling against the king? Not surrendering? What's going on? Source 14. Let him not rely on the Lord, saying, The Lord will save us. And this city will not be given into the hand of Sancherev. Who are they among all the gods of the lands who saved their land from my hand? That the Lord should save Jerusalem from my hand. What about all the gods of the ten tribes? And all the other nations that were conquered by the Assyrians? Their God didn't come to their defense. Is your God going to come to your defense? And you're trusting in God? And he went on and on mocking the God of Israel, saying that Hezekiah, the king, abolished all of the high places and all the monuments. So if you're not worshipping the God, which God is going to save you? And from here we see that he was an idol worshiper. He believed in idol worship. And therefore he's saying if Hezekiah destroyed and did away with all the high places which were used for idol worship, then who's going to save you? There's no worshipping those gods. He was an apostate Jew, the Talmud says. This Rav Shoki, the book tells us, the book of Kings, that he was speaking in Hebrew. Now how would the Assyrian speak Hebrew? Some small people living in Israel, why would he know Hebrew? And actually, the book says that Chizkiah's ministers told him, why are you speaking in Hebrew, which was the language of the, of the people? Speak in Aramaic, speak in your language, which we understand as ministers of the king, and we'll relay the message to the king Chizkiah. But he refused, this man, Rav Shoki. He spoke Hebrew because he was an apostate. He was a Jew. He was an, originally an idol worshiper who had betrayed his people, deserted his people. He renegated on the Jews and went to the Assyrians and became a spokesman for them. And he, therefore he was well-versed in Hebrew and he precisely, specifically chose to speak in Hebrew to intimidate the people. And he wanted the common people to understand and to be scared, to be frightened. And he terrorized them with his words. Source 15, when the word of Rav Shoke came to the heirs of Chizkiah, he rent his garments because he heard terrible, disgraceful words against God Almighty. And so he tore his garments out of sadness and came to the holy temple. And he prayed to God. With him, he said to the people, with him, with Sancherev, is an arm of flesh. And with us is our God 
to help us and to wage our wars. And the people relied on his words. He inspired the people, not just with Torah study, with faith in God, with trust in God. He says, we're doing the right thing. We're serving God. God is going to protect us, which did not make any sense. It was not rational. The Assyrians were successful at exiling the ten tribes and other nations were conquered by the Assyrians. Their armies were no match for the Jewish people. They were outgunned. Yet, they placed their faith in God. So, he sent message to Isaiah the prophet, Yeshayo, to pray. So, or 16, so as the Lord said, said the prophet, I will protect the city to save it for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. I lack the capability to pursue them, said Hizkiah, nor do I have the energy to sing to God. Rather, I will go to sleep and God will do what needs to be done. God replied, indeed, I will do it. Incredible. The faith and trust that Hezekiah displayed that he was able to go to sleep. You would, well, you would imagine he would be quite stressed, pacing the room back and forth. What to do? How is he going to protect his people? There is a huge, vast, mighty army at your doorstep, laying siege to your city, threatening Tomorrow morning to come and with one crush, with one blow to annihilate your people. But yet he was secure. He was calm and was able to fall asleep, relying, placing his trust in God. Now that does not mean that he was irresponsible. He did whatever he could to protect his people. And here comes one of the amazing things on planet earth that we can see today. If you visit Jerusalem, you go to the south of the Temple Mount, what's now called Silwan. Back then it was called Ir David, the city of David, where the palaces of the kings were. Where they found a bulla, which is a piece of clay with the seal impression of Chizkiah. Again, if you read ancient Hebrew, here you have a uh, son, which was the sign of his seal, and words, Chizkiah, son of Achaz. And over there, besides the, this uh, seal, they found about the year, in the year 1838, by a man named Edward Robinson, who was in a historian and archaeologist, and he discovered these tunnels, amazing tunnels running through that part of the city. Here you get a, a picture of uh, one of these uh, such tunnels going for about a quarter of a mile, about 1,800 feet. Just going to make a blessing here. What was this about? Source number 17. The city of Jerusalem did not have any running water in the actual city. The stream where their water came from was outside of the city walls in the valley called Gihon, the Gihon Valley, which is between Mount Olives and Mount Moriah. And... What the people and Chizkiah did, source number 17, a large multitude gathered and stopped up 
all the fountains and the stream that flowed in the midst of the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? Chizkiah made the conduit and the pool, and he brought the water into the city, digging tunnels, diverting the stream from outside the city into the city through underground tunnels, through digging through the rock and bringing the water into a pool called the, the Silwa, Silam, Silwam, I believe, but in Hebrew it's Shiloach, this pool which can be seen till today, where the water was brought into the city, thereby sustaining the people throughout a long siege from the Assyrians. And what's fascinating is that some years later, in 1880, they discovered in the tunnels a monument with, and you can see this, it's on display, because at that time, in 1880, the land of Israel was ruled by the Ottoman Empire, which were Turkish. So if you go to Turkey, and you go to Istanbul, and you go to the archaeological museum, you will see this original stone, which is found in the tunnels, where they chiseled out here, describing the celebration when the tunnels, the tunnels construction was complete. And that is an amazing feat that they accomplished because they had one group digging the tunnel from one side, the other group from the other side, and how are they to meet? It's amazing. It's just one of the most amazing things that was accomplished 2,700 years ago. The level is just so straight for the water to flow and how they even met each other. But on this inscription, it describes, and here is a couple of words from it, source 18, on the final day of tunneling, each of the stone cutters was striking forcefully to meet his co-worker, pick after pick. Then the water began to flow from the source to the pool, a distance of 1,200 cubits, which is about 1,800 feet. And that's just a few lines. It's just incredible how they came closer and closer until they actually heard the banging, the chiseling on the other side, until they met and the water flowed. Today in Israel, they made a copy of this original inscription and it's there and you can visit it. So today you can tour these tunnels. Lots of time, lots of parts of this tunnel you have to go you know, into water up to your knees. Ask Brian about it. But it's an amazing one of the most amazing things to visit on uh, planet Earth, how they hand-chiseled out these, out of rock, these tunnels, how they br- were able to breathe, how they, how they did this, and they figured out where they were. It's just amazing. But that's what we have today. Exactly what the Book of Kings tells us about these tunnels, about bringing the water into the city. Source number 19, after hearing the promises of the prophets and putting their faith in God that night, an angel, an angel of the Lord, went out and slew 185,000 of the camp of Assyria. These listed here are regiment leaders who commanded numerous soldiers. So there was a miracle. And in the prism of Sancher that we saw before, it doesn't say over there about his defeat. But scholars are trying to figure out how this even happened. It was some sort of plague. It's not really clear what happened. Why, why couldn't the massive... Assyrian army conquered the small city of Jerusalem. It was a miracle. God sent an angel to whack 185,000 leaders. I can imagine how many soldiers there were there. There was a plague. They all died. There were a bunch of dead corpses. And King of Ashur, King of Assyria, 
Sancheirev returned shamefully back home to his capital, to the city of Ninveh, where he was assassinated by his own sons. And a whole, another fascinating story, but in short, I see the clock is ticking, is that he came back and he was trying to figure out this great God of the Jews. What, what, what do they do so special to get his constant protection? And by the way, this story happened on the night of Passover. And that's why on Passover we read the story of Sancherv and the Haftorah. And the night of Passover is the night when the Jews left Egypt miraculously. And the night when hundreds of years later, 750 approximately years later, the Assyrian army was defeated miraculously. So he was told about the story of the Akedah, that Abraham brought up his son Isaac, he was ready to bring him up as an offering. So he said to his idol, this son Cherev, I'm ready to bring my sons, I'll bring two sons up as an offering. But his sons actually heard about that. They found out about their father's promise, and they said, hey dad, we'll bring you up as an offering. And that's how he was assassinated, fulfilling the words of the prophet, which we didn't quote here, that the prophet said that eventually he'll be assassinated by his own family back at home. So that was one miraculous story of Chizkiah, which is very famous for, very well documented, and there are other archaeological finds uh, to uh, docu- to, uh, I guess, bring artifacts to the story, prove the story of the Assyrian siege on Jerusalem. There's the broad wall that Chizkiah fortified, which remnants of it can be seen that I did see myself in Jerusalem. But let's move on to our final section about Chizkiah's family. Source number 20. Chizkiah became critically ill when Isaiah... The prophet came to him and said, Give orders to your household, for you are going to die. Imagine that. He's critically ill all of a sudden. At this time, he's 39 years old, quite young. And he's only been ruling for 14 years, from 25 to 39. And he's told he's going to die. Now, he didn't doubt the prophet's words. And the prophet is telling him, give orders to your household. Get things in order. You're going to die. Why? Why? He's such a righteous man. All that we learned about him so far. Why would he die? Because you did not marry and engage in procreation. That's what the Talmud says. That the prophet told him that you didn't build a family. You didn't attempt to marry, have children. And that's a great mitzvah. To have this merit. It's the first mitzvah in the Torah. Be fruitful and multiply. You've got to bring another generation into the world. And especially that if he didn't have any kids, then who's going to be the next king after him? I mean, the king's got to be in the Davidic dynasty. They need to be part of this family, the, the family from King David. God had promised King David that all of his descendants will be kings. And until, you know, in Jewish history, even hundreds of years later, after the destruction, after the exiles, Many of the great Jewish thinkers and leaders and sages were from the tribe of, Ju- of Judah. And think of our Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, was from the tribe of Judah, a direct descendant of King David. So if you're not, not going to have any kids, then uh, who's going to be the next king? And this is, this is an important mitzvah. 
So what was the thinking? What was the you know, thought process of Chizkiah? Why didn't he marry? Surely he could have found a nice Jewish girl to marry. Source 21, Chizkiah tells the prophet, because I envisaged through divine inspiration that the children that emerge from me will not be virtuous. He saw prophetically, as a king, he was a righteous man, that his children will be wicked. More than his own father. His father was wicked, we've learned, Achaz, but his children outdid his father. And he was worried. He didn't want to bring such children into the world. Isaiah said to him, why do you involve yourself with the secrets of God? Maybe you can see some things in the future, but you can't see what's going to be after that. And this is part of God's plan. Don't get involved. God told you to have children. Fulfill the mitzvah. So Chizkiah said to Isaiah, Okay, now give me your daughter as my wife. Perhaps my merit and your merit will cause virtuous children to emerge from me. Isaiah replied, The decree has already been decreed. I was sent by God to tell you this information. You're going to die. That's it. There's no way out. Too late. In Yiddish we say, Far fallen. You lost your chance. You should have known better. Ooh. What's Chizkiah going to do now? He had good intentions. He was so righteous, he did not want to have, he couldn't bear the thought of his own son being wicked. But yet, he was ready to marry Ishayahu's daughter, Isaiah's daughter. But Isaiah seems to say that the, the verdict is sealed. So, source 22, son of Amos, he says to the prophet Isaiah, you son of Amos, <laughs> Seize your prophecy and leave. Enough. You told me your prophecy. Uh, you don't need to tell me that it's a lost case. You told me that I'm going to die. Okay, I accept that. Now you can leave. I have received a tradition from King David. Even if a sharp sword rests upon a person's neck, he should not prevent himself from praying for mercy. It's never too late. Even if the sword is on the neck and it seems like a lost case, don't give up. Al yimna atzmoi min harachamim in Hebrew. There's a beautiful song that was composed to these words. Afilu cherev chada, sharp sword. Don't give up hope. Salvation can come in the blink of an eye. Even when there's no rational path, logical way for you to be saved, trust in God. And that's what Chizkiah personified with Sancherev and with his own health and his own life. He turned his face toward the wall and prayed to God, weeping profusely. He didn't just pray. He cried. He wept. He prayed like so heart, a heartfelt prayer. Source 23. What does it mean he turned to the wall? Talmud says, a person has to turn his face to the wall in order to pray. There is actually a law. If you're out in the field, it's not good to pray right in the middle. You go to the side, go to a wall. And it comes from this story. But also, the Talmud says, he lifted his eyes to the walls of his heart. He said, Master of the world, I checked all my 248 limbs that you gave me, and I did not find one of them I offended with you with. So much more that you should give me my life. He turned 
inward, to the heart, to the walls of his heart. He did some introspection. When there's a decree, there's something going on, we look inside of ourselves and see, what did I do wrong? How can I improve? How can I become better? And that is how we pray to God with tears. Source 24, I have heard your prayer. Isaiah sent back into Chizkiah's room and, Chizkiah, and Isaiah says, God sent me another prophecy. He reversed his decree. Only bad decrees could be reversed, by the way. Never a good decree. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. And from here we learn that the gates, the chambers of prayer, of tears, are never locked. If we pray and we cry and we weep and we really mean it, even a terrible decree could be averted. I will add 15 years to your life. And indeed, Chizkiah lived for another 15 years, from 39 to 54. Why 15 years? In order that he should be able to get married and have a son at least 12 years old that was that is mature enough to be a king. We find other kings that were from 12 years old. I guess back in the day they were more mature. Isaiah gave his daughter to Chizkiah. Her name was Heftiva. Heftiva married Chizkiah and they gave birth to Menashe and Rav Shoke, two boys. Menashe, assumed his father's position after his father's passing and became the next king. Unfortunately, as Chizkiah envisioned, Menashe was a very wicked king, spilled lots of blood, and brought idol worship back to the land like never before. Although, later, he was captured by the Assyrian king and tortured, and the suffering brought him to do teshuva, to repent and return to God, although not to the degree that uh, that his father did. But from Menashe, had, he had a son and he had a grandson, Yoshiyahu was a great righteous man. So although maybe he himself wasn't the greatest, but if Chizkiah would not bring this boy into the world, that would stop the whole chain. This way, at least eventually, there would be great, great kings. And maybe Menashe himself taught us the virtue of Teshuva, that even if someone sinned, Terribly, they can do teshuva, they can repent, return, and come back to the ways of God. And that is a bit de- debated in the Talmud, but it seems that God did accept his, his uh, repentance. And the other boy was Rav Shoke, who the Midrash, or the Ein Yaakov says that he died in his youth. Others say that this Rav Shoke was the same Rav Shoke that taunted the Jews as the representative of the Assyrian king. He was that apostate Jew. And you can imagine how painful it was for Chizkiah that his own son was this renegated Jew that left and was now mocking him and the God of Israel. Well, that's one theory. It's not clear. Perhaps it's the same name and it makes sense. But it's a possibility. Our last source for today is another powerful one. God sought to designate Chizkiah as Mashiach, to be the final king and usher in the time of peace and tranquility that we're all waiting for. But the attribute of justice said before God, Chizkiah, for whom you performed all these miracles, delivering him from Sancherev and healing his illness, and he did not recite praise before you. 
you will designate him as the Mashiach? So, in one area, Chizkiah failed to properly sing the praises of God and thank God for all of these miracles. So he was undeserving of making of being the Mashiach, which teaches us that when God does something good for us, He always does, every day, every day we should thank God. And when something good comes our way, thank God Almighty. And you will bring Mashiach closer by recognizing our humility to God. So Chizkiah indeed um, was healed from his sickness. On the third day of his sickness, he was healed. And miraculously, and there's so many more fascinating details to the story, but it's already over time. Um, so maybe we'll get to that another time. Those are some of the famous stories of Chizkiah, Hezekiah, who lived 54 years, reigning, ruling for 29 years, and hopefully we are more acquainted with this guy. I think I even dreamed about him last night. I'm thinking about it in the past few days, studying this once again. You know, you know these stories, but when we look at it inside, we look at the books, it's just fascinating. It's just amazing. And these stories were recorded for us to learn from these stories. We should be inspired by him, have more faith in God, sleep more peacefully, knowing we do what's right and we leave the rest to God. Pray. Prayer can, even if the prophet himself says something bad, prayer can change that. Study Torah and... We can be better than our parents in the ways of the Torah. Our parents will be happy. And for sure, if they're up in heaven, they'll be very happy that we're going, we're doing another mitzvah, another mitzvah, studying more Torah, more Torah, just like Chizkiah, king of Judah. Thank you for joining us for today's lesson. Tune back next week where we will be studying about Purim. The holiday of Purim is in exactly two weeks from today. And we'll be studying about that holiday next week. Exciting, joyous holiday. Hi, Ali, Tali, Vika, Andrew, everybody that joined on. Thank you for joining. If you could take a moment to share this post. Feedback is very much appreciated. But others can join in. Others can benefit from these lessons as well. I don't make anything up myself. Usually (laughs) it's just quotes, sources that I put together from Talmud, from Midrash, from the books of the prophets, from the Torah, sometimes a bit of Kabbalah. And if others can study this as well, we'll be going in the ways of Chizkiah, disseminating Torah study. Have a wonderful day and a happy Rosh Chodesh as we usher in the month, the joyous month of Adar.